of November. Now it's my special privilege to have Mr. Tony Coleus with the Navigators, and he can certainly share his own story, but God has given him a powerful testimony, and today he's going to address a very powerful topic. Tony. Thanks. Which one of your kids has the clicker? I got you. Oh, you got the clicker. Thanks. need the clicker. You guys hear me? This mic doesn't seem very loud. I like it more like that, too far from my face. about that. I got it. We're good. All right. So as you can see, I don't have a Bible verse up here yet, but I do have a definition of compassion. Now, one thing I recommend if you want to get closer to God is picking a verse or two and memorizing them. Now you don't do it by reading it really fast. So let's just take this definition. A feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune, covered by his problems. That doesn't get you anything, but if you slow it down, a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another person. Man, then you think about that. It's somebody else who's suffering, but we're feeling for them so deeply that we feel it ourselves. And it's accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate that suffering. Amen. So I want you guys to do is just keep this definition in the back of your minds, because we're going to come back to it when we start talking about this stuff. Now look, Pastor Rod did an awesome job two weeks ago talking about this subject. But we're hitting it twice in two weeks because it's so stinking important. Because there's not one person in here who's not going to suffer. If you're married and you're not planning on ever getting divorced, you or your spouse is gonna watch the other spouse die someday of Illness, accident, or violence. It's just the way it is. So what are you going to do with that suffering? We suffer here. It's a question. These questions that are popping up are questions that we ask ourselves. And if you haven't, you're lying because you've asked them. And especially the people we love or people we want to know God ask these questions. And these questions can either make an atheist out of somebody when they suffer or they can bring you closer to God than you can ever imagine when you go through it. It's how you're going to handle the suffering. All right? So, Pastor Rod went very deeply into evil two weeks ago. And he explained moral evil, natural evil. We're going to briefly go over that because to get an understanding why God allows things to happen, we have to understand evil. So can we all agree that evil exists? That's a stupid question, really. I mean, we've all smelled it, seen it, tasted it, felt it. Some of us have quashed it. It exists. So if evil exists within God's creation and God created everything, did God create evil? No. So where did it come from? Christianity is the only worldview that has an adequate explanation for evil. The atheist worldview, if you talk to an atheist who is educated about their belief, they'll say lack of belief, they will tell you there is no evil. They have to. Not just educated atheists won't say that, but an educated one will. They will say, I can't believe in evil. The reason being is because to have evil, you have to first have goodness to compare the evil to. And to have goodness that is standard across all humankind, you have to have somebody who provides the definition of goodness. In other words, God. So an atheist will have to say that there is no such thing as evil. And that's not very supportive. If you're going through some suffering, let's say you lose a child to suicide or drowning or whatever, and an atheist comes alongside you and says, well, man, life sucks and then you die. Sorry. How's that feel? Another major worldview out there, many, many of our major world religions, other than Christianity, are pantheistic. That's Buddhism, Hinduism, the Eastern religions. Pan, meaning all, theist, meaning God. So they believe that everything is God. The trees are God, the grass is God, God is in the earth, God is in us, God is, God is everything is God. And we as humans are striving to be oneness and unity with God. Well, since 
everything's God. A pantheist says that evil is an illusion because they don't want to say God is evil. So how would that make you feel if somebody came alongside you when you're suffering and said, it's just an illusion. Probably knock your teeth out of their head, right? That is not a legitimate logical philosophy. But Christianity says something different. Let me ask you guys this. We kind of covered it a second ago. We, we, evil does exist, but does it exist on its own? Is it its own substance, its own entity, its own person? No. Evil does not exist by itself. It does not exist apart from good. Let's put it this way. You can't have rot inside of a tree without first having a tree. You can't have rust on a car without first having a car. It's a corruption of something created for good that we misuse and it gets destroyed. Let's take this for example. Let's say I really want one of those John Deere zero turn lawn tractors at Home Depot. They're $5,300. I'm like, whoo, yeah, I get it. It gets delivered. I rip the plastic off. I take the instructions. I'm a dude. I don't need those. I chuck them in the fire pit and I get on that thing, throw some gas, start it up, pushing buttons, pulling levers, pushing buttons, going around circles, pushing buttons. All of a sudden, the engine starts smoking and seizes up. It was a perfectly good machine delivered with instructions on its proper use, but the potential for misuse was there. So whose fault was it that it broke? Was it the manufacturer's fault? Or was it mine for not following instructions and misusing? It's the same with God's creation. It was created with the potential for evil, but God didn't promote it in any way. It only came about when we, mankind, chose to ignore God's instruction and warning. The way things are now are not the way they were meant to be or created to be. God created paradise. And mankind, his special creation, to live with him, in fellowship with him, in paradise, forever. He told one rule, don't eat from that tree. And we made a bad choice. That caused evil to enter this world, bringing temporal and eternal consequences upon mankind and brought forth moral evil, which is person to person, and natural evil, hurricanes, earthquakes, fires, autism, birth defects, came from that poor choice. The earth was cursed by it. Evil is a problem of man's sin. So if God is so good and so powerful, can't he just stop evil, all evil? Yes, he can. He did that once. He left eight people alive. Noah, his sons, and their wives. Do you guys remember what the first thing Noah did once the land dried up? He planted a vineyard, made wine, and got wasted. Right? So for God to stop all evil, he has to stop all potential for future evil or its meaningless. So like Pastor Rod said two weeks ago, if God stops all evil tonight at midnight, which one of us is left standing at 12.01? He allows it to continue because people who haven't accepted his free gift of salvation have time now. And there's people he wants saved. So he lets it go. So just to recap, evil exists because of man's rebellion against God and it is a corruption of something God created for good. Now let's talk about another awesome topic. Let's talk about hell. There's many people who hate the idea of hell. I don't really like it either. But they hate it so much that they would say something like, if God is a loving God, he wouldn't send anyone to hell. I can't believe in a God who would send somebody to hell. Anybody, heard, anybody ever say that? You ever heard someone say that? There are named Christian religions out there that teach there's no hell and everyone ends up in heaven now. I want you guys to think about something. Do you ever notice that you don't really think you're going to die? I mean, we might know we're going to die and we might have watched people die, but we just don't feel like we're going to die. We just don't. You know why that is? 
Because we're not. We're created eternal. We will live forever. The day our body dies, we are somewhere else. And we have a choice of where we end up. Either in paradise with God or not. And to those Christians who say there's no hell, C.S. Lewis wrote this. By rebelling against the will of God and rejecting his provision of salvation, they will continue forever in their rebellion and separation from God. If all people end up in heaven, there's no real consequence to sin and we don't really have free choice. Free choice. You don't have love without choice. God gave us free will so we would choose to love him. But if we didn't have another choice, all we could have was choosing God, there wouldn't really be a choice at all, would there? If he created us with no free will, we'd just be like pet rocks to him. Oh, I love you so much. Looking at a pet rock and just petting it, right? But if, as soon as somebody chooses to love you back, that's a big deal. So God gave us free will. And with free will and with choices, there's consequences. And we all choose poorly a lot. And there's consequences for those actions. And sometimes those consequences affect other people around us in this world. But we have to have that free will. God's not going to force himself on us. Put it like this. To maintain a good garden, a gardener must constantly pull the weeds and carry them away. If the gardener fails to do that, the weeds will soon overtake the garden and it will no longer exist. In the same way, if God doesn't remove unrighteousness, heaven would be just like earth with its suffering and pain and disaster. That makes sense? He cannot allow evil into heaven. He cannot allow sin into heaven. His standard is perfection. And let's just put it another way. If a group of terrorists went to a mall and killed your entire family and killed a bunch of other people, if they were caught by the police, would you want the police to let them go? Or would you want the terrorists confined so they could kill no more? Obviously, the more loving and just thing to do is to contain the evil. So hell is required if justice and peace are to be restored in the kingdom of God. Now, this is a huge dilemma for mankind. God's standard is perfection, and none of us are perfect. None of us are good enough to get into heaven. But there's two attributes of God's character that we must keep in balance to understand how God resolved that dilemma for us. First is God's justice. It demands the death penalty for not following his commands. None of us have followed his commands. One of them is don't lie. And if you tell me you've never lied, you're a liar. Okay? Sway it. God cannot change the penalty because it is and within his character. And that's kind of in balance with his love. His love seeks a solution to our terminal condition. And because of that, he's paid that penalty for us. You see, the triune nature of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in relationship forever. That's why we create relationship, because we're created in God's image. If God didn't have that triune nature, it was just a single, a single personality, how would he know what relationship was? So we're created his image. So we crave relationship, we crave friendship, we crave marriage, we crave relationship because we're built in his image. He took one third of that, ripped it away, and then he laid down all the sin that we've ever committed, anybody's ever committed on that perfect person of Jesus. Jesus righteous, we're unrighteous. The Bible says righteousness became unrighteousness to bring you to God. So now, if you accept what he did on the cross for you, when God sees you right now, I see my son, I see my son, I see my son, I see my son, I see my son. You're still sinning, but God sees his son when he sees you. It's called propitiation. Jesus became sin for us. There was a Tibetan ruler one day, one way back in the day, and he made a law for his village that said, if you got caught stealing, you'd get your hand cut off. So one day the entire village showed up to see what he was going to do because his mom was on trial for theft. Two witnesses testified against her. Sure enough, she confessed to it. 
And the ruler was like, oh, mom, you know stealing, you must give a hand and a hand must be given, you're guilty, but I love you. So the ruler got down off his place of authority and put his own hand on the chopping block and had his own hand removed. That's what God did for us. A price must be paid. The penalty will be paid because God is just. It's your choice who pays it. You or your heavenly father. Unfortunately, many people choose to pay it themselves. Reminds me of a pastor and a barber walking in downtown Portland. Now, we've got to assume that the barber is an atheist. And they come across all the stuff that's down there. It's not as nice as it used to be. And the barber says, this is why I cannot believe in a God of love. Because a God of love wouldn't let people live in this poverty, disease, and squalor. And the pastor bit his tongue. And they kept walking. Until they came across a transient who's totally unkind to hair everywhere, beard everywhere. And the pastor said, you can't be a very good barber if you'd let people uh, live around here without a haircut and shave. And the barber was indignant. He said, why blame me for that man's condition? I can't help it if he's like that. He's never given me a chance. If he'd only come to my shop, I'd fix him up and make him look like a gentleman. The pastor looked intently at the barber and said, then don't blame God for allowing people to continue in their selfish ways. He constantly invites them to come to him and be changed. The reason they are slaves to sin and evil habits is because they refuse to accept the one who died to save and deliver them. You see, the free gift is there for every single human being to take. You've got to profess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. That free gift is there. And to Christians, we say, God, your will be done in my life. But unfortunately, to many people who reject God, God says, man, your will be done. People choose hell. They don't want to be with God. They want nothing to do with God. So they choose to be in a place where God isn't. God does not send them there. And I stole this from Pastor Tim. But imagine Dunthorpe area, just north of Lake Oswego, and you go up and you find the biggest mansion there. And you pack your bags and you go up and knock on the door and the guy answers, you go, let me in, I'm moving in. And he says, get the heck out of here, I never knew you. But imagine if that was your own father's house and you came up, you knocked on the door, said, dad, let me, let me in. Of course he's gonna let you in. Jesus says in the book of Matthew that there will be people who come to him and say, but Lord, but Lord, did miracles in your name and cast out demons. And Jesus says, away from me, I never knew you. God desires relationship with us, but he's not going to force himself on us. He's waiting there for us to accept that free gift. That's all we got to do. And then, when you suffer, which you will, you've got the creator of the universe walking with you through it. Or you can do it by yourself. It's your choice. Now that we've talked about evil and hell, let's get to the point of the matter. Suffering. You ever heard this one? Why does God allow the innocent to suffer? Heard that one? That's an easy answer. There are no innocent people. Mic drop. We're done. How about this one? If God is good, then why does he allow suffering? Why would a good God allow it? On your think of your best days. When everything's going right, you're happy, you're filled with joy. Are you on your knees crying out to God on that day? All day, all day, are you thinking about God? Are you praying to him when it's going really good? No. When you're on your knees crying out to God and begging Him and talking to Him is when you're going through junk, when you're suffering. So God allows us to go through those things to get our eyes back where it matters, which is on Him. 
In America, why do we even need God? If you're hungry, you've got McDonald's. If you want water, you go to the water fountain. All of our needs are met. So why do we need God unless we feel like we need him? My rope's on the floor, hold on. Now I stole this from Francis Chan. You see this rope? This rope goes out the door. What I want you to do is imagine that it keeps heading south and it goes to Salem and then California and then Mexico and South America comes all the way back around and it circles the earth about five or six times and then shoots straight out into outer space. Now I want you to understand that this rope represents a timeline. And this little black part of the rope is your time on earth. And the rest is forever. And so many of us are caught up in, oh, what I do right here is just going to affect what I do right there. And oh my gosh, what I'm going through right here just really screws that up right there. But God's looking at this. God helps us through here, but here is to get us here. It's called having an eternal perspective. If your mind and your heart is on here, you can deal with everything that happens in this world. There was an interviewer interviewing a Vietnam fighter pilot once, and the fighter pilot was talking about his missions, and the interviewer said, so what was your biggest fear? And he said, our biggest fear, absolutely, was getting shot down and taken prisoner, and we never knew if we were going to ever see our families again. We'd be tortured. Who knows? The interviewer says, yeah, I get that. He said, but what if you did get shot down, and you were a POW, but supernaturally you knew that in three years you would be fully restored to your family and fully healthy. Would that help you get through it? And he said, of course it would. And the interviewer said, that's what Christians have. We have our hope for the here. And that hope for here gets us through this crap that life has to throw at us. So why, do, why does God allow Christians to suffer? might be to get our eyes off of ourselves and onto him. Be back on our knees praying. But it also might be that so somebody else who's destined for hell sees how we handle our suffering and ends up in heaven. Which, if your perspective's here, then that's awesome. But if it's right here, then all you care about is what you're going through right here. Does that make sense? I hate notes. So here's some Bible verses to back up what I'm saying. Purposes of suffering. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship of, as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? Anybody ever been disciplined? Does it feel good? Discipline doesn't feel good. But it creates character. It builds us into who, it builds our children into who we want them to be. It built us into who our parents wanted us to be. And God being a parent disciplines us. That does not feel good. But it molds us into who God wants us to be. John 15, 2. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so it will bear even more fruit. Do you think getting pruned feels good? Pruned by God? Just always give me a haircut. No. It's not. It really feels bad. But God allows us these things to shape us. Where did I put my pen? Here it is. So let's take this pen, for example. If you really had to write something down right now, and you grabbed your only pen and put it to paper and it didn't write, what would you do to the pen? Throw it away. You need it. You got to write it. So shake it. You might rub it on the paper real fast. Have you ever taken a lighter and heated it up at the end? See if that works? Yeah, right? 
So let's say this pen is you. What's inside of it, that ink, is what you know about God and his kingdom and what God wants you to share with people about him. And that little ball, that's your will. And your will's not moving. Because you're scared. You don't know enough. Just don't want to. So what might God do to you to get your will moving? You th he might shake you up a little bit. Might shake up your life. Might heat up your life a little bit. But ultimately, according to this verse, if that pen still doesn't work, he's going to get a new one. Because he cuts off every branch in him that bears no fruit. Our response to suffering. Now this is hard. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Have any of you ever considered it pure joy when you face trials? Probably not. We probably think of it like, yeah, that sucks, right? Consider it pure joy. That's what the Bible tells us to do. It's a mindset switch. It also says, always give thanksgiving to God. So what might happen in our hearts and our minds if we try that amidst, amongst suffering? Instead of shaking our fists at God, we think, how can I consider this joy? How can I be thankful to God? You know, Aaliyah's mom and I, uh, we became saved in 2004, and then as we matured in our faith, I began asking God, God, what do you want me to do for your kingdom? Anything, anything, do it. How can my family work for your kingdom? And Jermaine and I started doing law enforcement first responder Bible studies, and we do a worldview training, uh, on, you know, Christian worldview, and then we do an apologetics training. And commonly in that apologetics training, when we got to this question, why does God allow suffering? I would say, and I would use this example because it was my biggest fear in the world. I would say, what if a DUI drunk driver hit Jermaine and Aaliyah and killed them both? But they both went to heaven, as I know they're going to heaven. But how I handled that, somebody who was destined for hell ended up in heaven. Was it evil? And then I said, would it be worth it? And to their shock, I would say, yeah, it would be worth it. If somebody who was destined for hell went to heaven. Because I know they were there. And I was going to see them again. It's eternal perspective. Right? So probably the biggest question, if you've never asked it, you probably should have, is why does God allow children to die? Ever wondered that? Probably if you've lost a child, I'm sure you have. You know, back in December of 2012, me and about 30 other deputies ran into the Clackamas Town Center chasing an active shooter who went into the mall with an AR-15, 120 rounds of ammunition, ran straight to the food court right before Christmas and was going to live out his video game fantasy and kill as many people as he could. He killed only two. Now it's terrible that he killed two, but he only killed two. Then his gun began jamming and he started running and then he killed himself. He did not intend to kill himself. He had hearing protection in to protect his hearing, a face mask on to protect his identity, and he left his car running. He was just going to go have fun and go. So I remember thinking, oh, this is awesome. God reached down and said enough and stopped it right after it started. I felt great for about two days because two days later, Sandy Hook happened and 20 little elementary kids were murdered gruesomely and that threw me for a wobble I was just like how why it's the only time in my life I questioned God's reasoning behind something and then I went and met a Christian friend of mine that day and we we were mourning together and talking through it together 
And it occurred to us that those kids were not at an age yet where they could deny God, so they went to heaven. All 20 of them went to heaven. They were climbing on Jesus' back and pulling on his beard. They skipped all this crud that we have to go through, all the strife and hard work and tears and sweat, all the way to paradise immediately. Boom, paradise. Wow. That made, I was like, that's, that's awesome. How many of them would have accepted the free gift, do you think, out of that 20? If they'd lived their full lives. Four, three, and the rest were destined for hell. But God, in his mercy, took them home. And then we thought about the shortest verse in the Bible. It said, Jesus wept. When did he weep? He wept when his friend Lazarus died. But he didn't weep because Lazarus died. Jesus was going to raise him from the dead five minutes later. He wept because his friends were weeping. God felt that. Compassion. And wept with them. Wanting to help them. That's our God. That's a Christian God. He weeps with us. He feels this. That's a Christian God. Lamentations 3, 22 through 23. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We have a compassionate God. We have a compassionate God that cares about us when we go through stuff in here. But his eye is on here. Back in uh, November 18th, of 2016, I'm sitting in my hot tub and I'm reading my Bible on the Bible app and I come across a verse, Isaiah 57, one. It's now my life verse because it explained to me why kids die. I'd supervised a child abuse team for seven years and watched kid after kid after kid after kid die. And this verse explained it to me. I'm gonna share it with you. The righteous perish and no one takes it to heart. The devout are taken away and no one understands that the righteous are taken away to be spared from evil. I went, oh, that explains it. The Bible has a verse for it. He took those kids home to spare them from evil. What's the evil? It could be that they just didn't accept his free gift and were destined for heaven. We don't know what it was. But understand this. As we see time as humans, it's like sitting at the Rose Parade. Then you see the drummers coming. And then they pass. And then you see a float coming. And then it pass. You look way up there, that's the future. And as the dancing girls get right here, it's the present. And as it pass, that's the past. God sees it differently. God's in a helicopter a thousand feet up and he sees the entire parade all at once. All at the same time. Beginning, end, and everything in the middle of it. He knows what's going to happen. He's outside of time. So he knows already what somebody's going to suffer through. And if it's bad enough, and the righteous, he takes them home. That verse was awesome. I bookmarked it, highlighted it on my app, and Jermaine in the bedroom liked it. The next morning, Jermaine and Leah took off to Union Mills Feed to go get some goat feed. I prayed over them for protection because my biggest fear was them getting a crash. It was always on my mind. Then I went down in our canyon and I was clearing brush and it had been a while and I got a text from my assistant team leader on the SWAT team and it said, hey, check out CAD 380. Now CAD is a computer-aided dispatch call. He was just telling me to look at this call and two things went through my mind. One, it's a potential SWAT call. Two, my family is involved in a crash. So I drove up where I get some cell service. I called him. I said, hey, what's up? He goes, hey, buddy, how are you doing? I says, my family alive, dude? 
And he said, just get dressed. I'm coming to get you. And I said, is Aaliyah alive? Tell me, is she alive? And he goes, last I know, she's walking and talking. I said, is my wife alive? Is Jermaine alive? I don't know. She's on the chopper. So we got to the hospital. And I went into Leah's room and she was crying and I hugged her. And then I went to the ICU and I checked on Jermaine and they said she doesn't look like she has any brain activity. It's truly to tell. So I went back to Aaliyah. I said, Aaliyah, we're going to pray for a miracle. We're going to pray for healing. And we're going to expect a yes. But if we get a no, we're still going to praise God. And they said, okay. And then a, a day or two into that, I get a text from one of my snipers on the team, Nate Walbaum. And he says, hey, I'm at a vigil at your, at your school, a candlelight vigil, and I met a guy that rescued your family. So what had happened is they left Union Mills feed, they went about a block, and somebody hit them and knocked them into Milk Creek in the middle of November, upside down, Swift Moving Creek. And a bunch of good Samaritans, including Ty Russell, who went to this church but now moved to Idaho, jumped in to that creek. And they rescued him. So he's like, I met this guy, Brandon. Do you want to meet him someday? I go, bring him to the stinking hospital right now. It was 9.30 at night. Okay. So he brings Brandon out there. And I talked to Brandon. I'm like, how'd you guys get Leah out? He goes, I don't, I don't know. He just points up. I don't, I don't know. Because all of a sudden, the SUV flipped over and she popped out of the sunroof into my hand. Jermaine was not responsive when they got her out. One of my deputies did CPR on her on, on the road and brought her back, her heartbeat back. So I said, Brandon, how can I pray for you? And Brandon said, this brought me back to God. Pray I can lead my family to God. And it just hit me. God, somebody's going to heaven because of what I just went through. And the only heart I had at that point was, thank you, God. Still in grief, still in misery, but with a heart of thanks. She survived five days in the hospital. And on the last day, they wanted to harvest her organs. So I had a few pastors and chaplains and a couple of doctors who are on our SWAT team. We'll go figure that out, whether that was biblical or not. And they said, yeah, it is. So in the morning, they wheel her down to the surgical suite. We've got a couple surgeons and about five nurses down there. And they said, do you have any last words for her? And I said, no, I already know where she's at, but I have some words for you. And I shared how I could know where she's at and how they could too. And I shared the gospel with them to a bunch of tears pouring out of doctors and nurses. And then I left. Then I went upstairs and I sat next to my, one of my best buddies who I work with. It was, you know, we're cops. There's hundreds of cops there. I typed, there's something called CaringBridge. It's a, a website that you update people when you have somebody in the hospital or whatever, and they can all log in and look at it. So I typed in this thing and it, I don't know how I wrote it. It was the Holy Spirit talking, but it started with, with tears of sadness and with tears of joy. I'm writing a report to you that, you, that Jermaine is no longer with us. And then I went on to explain how, why I would have joy for that. Because I knew she was in heaven. And I knew that Leah and I would see her again. I had that hope. I shared the gospel in that message. And then my friend said, dude, I'm emailing that to the entire department. I said, whoa, you're gonna get in trouble. He goes, I don't care, click. And he sent it to the entire sheriff's office. And then I find out that somebody at the sheriff's office sent it to the Portland Peace Bureau and they read it every one of their briefings, patrol briefings, before they started the night. She died the day before Thanksgiving. Lee and I went to a hotel that night. We didn't feel like going home. Went out to eat with my best friends. And Nikki, one of my two best friends, or married couple, said this, these profound words, and I'll never forget them. She said, Somebody's a pacemaker. She said, for believers, this world is our hell. 
Because it's never going to get worse than this. It's only going to get better. But for non-believers, this world is their heaven. It's never going to get any better than this. It's only going to get worse. I thought that was pretty profound. Lee and I went back to the hotel room. I, I, I wouldn't sleep. I was just bawling. I went to the bathroom so she couldn't hear me and get some sleep. And I was crying out to God. And God said, you need to do her memorial. She was a police officer for 10 years. There was going to be a big crowd. And I knew that if I died, I always wanted someone to share the gospel really well. And my memorial is this captive audience. So I was like, okay, I'll do it. So December 3rd rolls around for memorial. I do the memorial. One of my snipers, Jonah Russell's in the audience, the whole SWAT team was there. At the end of the memorial, Jonah had a foster daughter at home watching his kids. She was 12. He goes, dude, uh, she was watching that. Adrian was watching this on the live feed, and she just came to Christ. And I'm, oh, thank you, God. Nate Walbaum, that same sniper about Brandon, he texts me on Thanksgiving, which is in the, the day after Leah died. I'm Leah died. Wow, don't say that. Jermaine died. Sorry, you guys look alike. Um, and he says, he says, hey man. He called me. He said, hey man. I'm at Thanksgiving dinner. I just arrested a dude. He was suicidal. His dad died. He didn't want to go back to prison. He goes, so I handed him what you wrote on the caring book and had him read it in the backseat of my patrol car. He came to Christ and started toward the jail. And I was like, oh, that's three, right? I was hoping for one, that's three. The week after Jermaine's memorial, I baptized Leah. I baptized one of my deputies, Ben Tubes, his son, a doctor on the SWAT team. Jonah baptized his daughter. Five people got baptized that day. It was a revival. Now, if I shook my fist at God and said, why the heck did you allow this to happen, God? Me and Jermaine are doing ministry in your name. How dare you? What would have happened? What would have happened? I retired a year ago. The day I retired, I got an email from a guy who's a civilian who runs our public shooting range. I'd never met him in person. I'd seen him at meetings two or three times. And he says, hey man, I probably won't see you in person. I didn't really know how to tell you this, but my wife and I went to your, your wife's memorial. And I kept thinking, how can he do this? How can he be at peace right now? And because of that, me and my wife started going to church. And now I lead men's Bible studies from my home. And my wife leads women's Bible studies from my home. It changed our lives. So I went to our range that day and I found them in the bathroom. <laughs> and I was like, dude, welcome to the kingdom. Thank you for sharing. Because every time I hear one of those stories, and there's been hundreds, it gives me a heart of thanks. And when you suffer, but you're doing it with God, there's a supernatural thing that happens. You are grieving and you're in pain and you're sad, but at the same time, you're feeling joy and peace and happiness. And somehow supernaturally, those things work together. So it's your choice, folks. You're going to do it with God or without Him. Because you're going to suffer. I don't think I have another slide. I don't. So what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to have Aaliyah come up here. She's going to sing a song to close us out. Actually, before you do that, that free gift I mentioned is there for each one of you in here. All you have to do is believe it in your heart and receive that gift. So I'm going to give you a chance to do it if you've never done it. Let's pray. And if you want God on your side, if you want that God of compassion when you do the suffering you're going to have, man, say the prayer with me. And make Him your Father. God, You are amazing. You are glorious. You are worth it. 
God, if there's anyone in here who hasn't accepted you, I pray they do it right now. And in their heart, they're saying, Jesus, I want to make you Lord of my life. Every aspect of my life, I want you to lead it. I accept what you did on the cross for me and taking my sins and my disobedience and erasing them. I want to be in your family, God. I accept the free gift you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now Leah's going to sing this next song. And it's four words that if you really, in your heart, every time you go through something, sing out these four words. It's going to help you through anything. Grab your mic. Can you use this one? Okay.
God bless you and your families. Tim's going to say something here. But uh, please keep in mind that compassion and our God of compassion. And he's yours. He wants to be your friend and your father. Thanks, Tony. Thank you, Tony, for bringing that message. Thank God for just how he's worked in that situation and how he can work in yours. As I look around the room this morning, I firmly believe God has got you here this morning for a reason. This message, either it's hit home for you or it'll hit home for somebody else. There is a God we can put our faith and trust in. So I want to encourage each one of you to take whatever God has allowed in your life, even in the face of suffering, that we leave here with a renewed attitude of how we're going to approach it, how we're going to face it, and that God would receive the glory, that we would trust in Him through it so that He could do mighty things. Also, this morning we've got million-dollar books on your tables, on your chairs. There's a big box of them in the back. Uh, the, the book, it says a million dollars, but, but it includes the Gospel of John. I know that... Uh, Monday night, a lot of people like to come to people's homes. They like to go out and do trick-or-treats. What about giving these out, not as a trick, but as a treat that they would be pointed to the one that God sent, His one and only Son. So we want to encourage you guys to uh, take advantage of that. Also, um, Friday night, the Colton Vikings, they are going to state. Our first state football game will be here at Colton High School. We want to invite you all out at 7 o'clock. Um, if anybody needs encouragement or prayer, come find one of us. Find Tony, find my dad, Pastor Rod, here in the front. Find one of the elders in the church. Kevin's in the back. Uh, Richard's over there. We're here to pray with you. We're here to strengthen and support and encourage you. God bless you and thank you so much for worshiping together today.